From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Wednesday the 4th of January 2023. Good afternoon. In today's Spotlight story, we look at the deadly Ukrainian strike that killed scores of Russian soldiers. This isn't the only thing happening in the world, though, so we'll run through three of today's other important stories. And in our exclusive Nebula section, I sit down with Rory and discuss Rishi Sunak's first speech of the year, in which he outlined his priorities for 2023. But first, what happened in Ukraine? Early on New Year's Day, Russia suffered a devastating blow in their ongoing conflict in Ukraine, as a Ukrainian missile strike hit a temporary Russian barracks at a vocational college in the occupied Donetsk region. There were a number of reported failings on the Russian side that led to this catastrophe. Firstly, a huge number of conscripts were packed into a cramped building, putting them at huge risk from an attack from the Ukrainians. Second, ammunition was being stored close to the site, which detonated when the missile hit. These two factors caused anger in Russia in the days after the strike, as many Russian commentators and even some politicians questioned the apparent lack of care paid to the safety of soldiers by Russian commanders. In total, Russian officials have confirmed the deaths of 89 servicemen, having previously said that 63 were killed in the strike, although Ukraine claims this figure is closer to 400. Either way, Russia has acknowledged that this is the worst military loss since the war in Ukraine began. A rare public commemoration was held in the Russian city of Samara, where some of the troops came from. Around 200 people laid roses and wreaths in the central square and an orthodox priest recited a prayer. Russia's defence ministry has put out a statement that claims the attack happened as a result of Russian troops using mobile phones, which in turn allowed the Ukrainian military to discover the location of the troops. The defence ministry said four rockets from US-made HIMARS launchers hit the building that housed the troops, causing the ceilings to collapse. The ministry said that a commission is investigating the circumstances of the attack. It's additionally been reported that the deputy commander of the regiment that was being housed at the college, Lieutenant Colonel Boucherin, was among those killed. Ultimately, the Russian government has announced that there will be an investigation into the incident and those found to be guilty will be swiftly brought to justice. The statement went on to say that steps were being taken to ensure that a similar event does not occur again. President Putin additionally signed a decree yesterday which states that families of National Guard soldiers killed in service should be paid 5 million rubles, equivalent to $69,000. Okay, so that's the biggest story of the day, but there's a lot more going on around the world. So here's a rundown of three other stories. In October last year, the Polish government made an official request to enter into talks with Germany over Second World War reparations, which Poland estimated at 1.3 trillion euros. On Tuesday, the Polish foreign ministry said that the German government had rejected the request, saying that the matter of reparations and compensation for war losses remains closed, and that Germany does not intend to enter into negotiations on this matter. Poland has turned to the UN to seek cooperation and support in its efforts to secure reparations, but there has not been any response so far. 
Germany maintains that the question of Nazi occupation reparations for Poland was settled in 1953, when Poland's then-communist government, under pressure from the Soviet Union, relinquished any claims to financial reparations. Since taking office in 2015, Poland's ruling Law and Justice Party has revived calls for compensation and called the 1953 decision invalid, a move that has strained relations with Germany. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your daily routine, or just search for us on your podcast app to listen along. A recent visit to a Jerusalem holy site by Israel's new far-right national security minister has been condemned as an unprecedented provocation by Palestinians and also some Israelis. On Tuesday, Itamar Ben-Gavir visited the Al-Aqsa compound, which is one of Islam's holiest sites and is known as the most sacred site in Judaism, known to Jews as the Temple Mount. It's a major flashpoint in the Israel-Palestine conflict, and Palestinian authorities said Ben-Gavir's visit was a dangerous escalation of the conflict. Jewish people and other non-Muslims are allowed to visit the compound, but not pray, though this is something that Ben-Gavir has previously said he wants to change. He said he would not be deterred in his visit, and that those who make threats will be dealt with with an iron fist. Nevertheless, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who previously warned him against the visit, has said that he will not allow any changes to the delicate status quo. Israeli opposition leader and former Prime Minister Yair Lapid said it was a deliberate provocation that puts lives in danger, while the White House said any unilateral action that jeopardises the status quo is unacceptable. It's been recently revealed by Virginia Crosby, a Welsh Conservative MP, that she wears a stab vest when meeting constituents. Following the murder of Sir David Amos in 2021, British members of Parliament have been re-evaluating their approach to interacting with the public. Sir David was a sitting Conservative MP who was stabbed when meeting members of the public in Southend. Ms Crosby directly referenced this murder when discussing her reasoning behind wearing the vest. Alongside this, she said that she doesn't feel safe as an MP and that she's received death threats and abuse for her work as an MP. She isn't the only MP either who's publicly stated that they've opted to wear stab-proof vests. Conservative MP Mike Freer told The Times that he's also worn stab vests when meeting constituents, alongside carrying panic alarms on his person. In our final story today, we look at Norway, which is racing towards its goal of ending the sale of petrol and diesel automobiles by 2025. Recently released data shows that in 2022, almost 80% of all new car sales in Norway were electric vehicles. That's up from 65% in 2021 and just 2.9% a decade ago. Norway has achieved the world's highest proportion of electric vehicles, thanks in part to generous subsidies and financial incentives for consumers. However, some of those incentives are beginning to be curbed this year as the government seeks to make up for lost revenue. That's all we have time for on YouTube today, but if you want to see our discussion of the Prime Minister's agenda-setting speech, then watch the extended ad-free edition of The Daily Briefing over on Nebula. Now might be the time to do it, as there's an offer which gets you a year of membership for less than $1 a month. That's huge because Nebula subscribers not only get everything you've already watched ad-free, but also an extended edition of the show every single day, available to watch on Nebula or stream on your podcast app of choice. 
They also get access to a ton of other exclusive ad-free TLDR content, as well as videos from all your favourite creators. The good news is, like I mentioned, our friends at CuriosityStream, the streaming service which offers you some of the world's best documentaries, is offering an incredible deal whereby you can get both platforms, CuriosityStream and Nebula, for less than $12 a year. That's all the documentaries you could want on CuriosityStream, and then more TLDR content on Nebula, including the extended briefing, other full exclusive TLDR videos, and it's always ad-free. Click the link below to get both services for less than a dollar a month, a deal which doesn't last long, and support the channel.